You might, uh, you might remember from last week, uh, we saw that, you know, before the Israelites uh, left Egypt, God uh, instituted, if you will, uh, two feasts or celebrations or what the Bible calls memorials. Uh, it's an occasion to remember, to make sure that the people never forgot and to make sure that future generations of Jewish people would never forget what God did for the Israelites uh, down in Egypt. And uh, these uh, occasions <clears throat> are important. And I notice uh, that this weekend is the 55th anniversary of the dedication of this building. And I always think, you know, uh, a memorial or a dedication or an anniversary is a time to just reflect for a minute about the faithfulness of people who have gone before us. I bet 55 years ago, people sacrificed time, people sacrificed money, people sacrificed uh, maybe some relationships. I've been through some church building programs, and it can get kind of hairy. People have different ideas as to what should be the priorities and all of that. It's hard to get a whole group of 100 people, you know, all moving in the same direction. Um, But I just thought, uh, you know, what God instituted for the Israelites is kind of like a memorial to stop and just be thankful, right, that there were people who were faithful to God 55 years ago. I have two friends who started new churches. I told you about the one friend of mine who's 12 years starting a church. And uh, at first, they're all excited. They're enthusiastic, start with a Bible study in this house. Next thing you know, they're renting space, but they have to go there every Sunday and set it up right? Uh, My sister went to a church um, where it met in a bar. The bars are closed on Sunday mornings, and so they would go in there, and they would have to clean everything up first thing. And at first, it was pretty exciting. They they were happy to just have a place that was big enough that they could get everybody in, but you know, that gets pretty tough after a while. You're going in after a Saturday night, and you're cleaning up the floor, and you're setting up chairs, and you're getting rid of all the, and you're trying to get rid of the smell. You're opening the windows and all the rest of it that goes with that, you know? And so after a while, uh, sometimes I think we don't appreciate what it's, how great it is to just have a building. And, uh, you know, we can easily crab about it and, you know, with different things that happen and so on. But here's the deal. Future generations are going to be dependent on our faithfulness and our sacrifices and our willingness to kind of give ourselves wholeheartedly to the Lord and do whatever it is he's calling us to do because he's the only one who really knows what's going to come in the future. And uh, so I just think an anniversary is a great occasion. And I notice in the bulletin on the back is the prayer of dedication for the building. Uh, 55 years ago, I don't know, maybe Kendall was uh, one of those original guys 55 years ago. I don't know who else might uh, be on board there. But, you know, the truth is every one of us as individuals has heard the gospel from somebody who's been faithful to the Lord. Could be your parents. Maybe you heard the good news from your parents. Maybe a Sunday school teacher. You know, maybe a youth pastor along the way. Maybe a camp counselor. I don't know. Maybe a friend in college. But somebody's been faithful enough to share the gospel with you. And as we heard this morning, the gospel changes everything. I mean, it's the best thing that can happen to us in our whole life. Okay, so you might remember uh, last week we talked about these nine you know, miraculous signs uh, that uh, God imposed on uh, Egypt. And uh, they were um, 
you know, they were smackdowns of Egypt's gods. Egypt worshipped the Nile, right? Worshipped the sun, uh, and so on and so forth. And so, uh, really, the Lord just showed his superiority. So, finally, we came to the very last of these signs, and it was the Passover, where the firstborn of every Egyptian family and all the cattle and everything uh, were going to die that night unless you put blood from the sacrificed lamb on the doorposts of your house so that the angel of death would pass over the Hebrew people but would visit all the Egyptian people. So in chapter 12, if you have your Bible, of Exodus in verse 29, uh, here's what we read. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron at night and said, Up! Go out from among the people, both you and the people of Israel, and go. Serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks, take your herds, and uh, as you have said, and be gone, right? Pharaoh's finally ready to get rid of the people. And then he says this at the end of that little speech. He says, bless me also. And when you read that, you think, wow, maybe Pharaoh's getting the message. Maybe he realizes that Israel's God is superior to all of you know, uh, Egypt's gods, but uh, don't get too excited. That's not really what's happening. There's not a change in his heart. I think he's just kind of desperate. And uh, yet it does show that, you know, he's softening up. And uh, this final phrase, bless me too, uh, it seems like a crack in the door, but uh, of his anti-Semitism. Back in uh, Exodus chapter 5, you remember when Moses and Aaron first went to him, in chapter 5 and verse 2, the Pharaoh said, you know, who is the Lord that I should obey him and his voice and let Israel go? I don't even know who the Lord is. And moreover, I will not let Israel go and so forth. So he said this hardened thing, but God's brought these, uh, you know, uh, plagues against his people. And um, in Exodus 12, verse 33, uh, the rest of the people were like, you know, to the Israelites, get out of here. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, you know, we're all going to be dead if we don't get rid of these people. So the people took their dough before it was leavened and, you know, their bowls and so forth, and they took off. And that's why God had the Feast of Unleavened Bread for them to remember. Uh, Verse 37, the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot. Now, 600,000 fighting men, add to that some of the senior citizens, you know, who aren't fighters anymore, and all the kids and all the women. And uh, most commentary scholars say there's probably 2 million people when Israel left Egypt. Remember, they started with 70 people. The family of uh, Abraham, you know, was, they all went down because it was a famine. 70 people grew into 2 million in 430 years, the Bible says. And this number is challenged by some people, but when you go to numbers, it's pretty much the same uh, amount of people and so forth. So just think, 2 million people. Now, uh, the deal is that, um, well, let's read this. 37, 38, the people uh, of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, 600,000 
uh, besides women and children, a mixed multitude also went up with them, and uh, very much livestock, uh, both uh, flocks and herds, and uh, they baked the unleavened cake and so forth. And uh, if we go to verse 42, it says, it, that was a night of watching. Imagine two million people leaving uh, Egypt. That was a night of watching by the Lord, right? Imagine the Lord just sitting there watching the culmination of 430 years. He had a plan 430 years ago. I'm going to you know, put Joseph down there, and Joseph's going to invite his family when there's a famine, and the family's going to grow to a couple million people, and then I'm going to make a nation out of them. I got a plan. You know, I don't think it occurred to these people that they might be a part of a plan that's much bigger than just their immediate circumstances. And so even the Lord is like enjoying this. I like I see him sitting in the stands, right? Uh, verse 42. Uh, right, uh, uh, was a night of watching by the Lord uh, to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by the people of Israel throughout all their generations. Hey, don't ever forget this night. Don't ever forget that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God of the universe, and I have a plan, and I'm working my plan, and nobody can stop my plan. And uh, don't ever forget. And, and I think that's encouraging. Now, um, you know, when the people left, God was actually leading them, right? Um, in Exodus, uh, uh, we read about a pillar, right? God is actually leading these people. If you think about it, uh, they leave Ramses, and um, it's not like they had a GPS, Right, And once you get out into the desert, i got to tell you, everything looks the same. Sand, right? Northeast, southwest, sand. That's it. So how do they know where to go? Barbara and I were on our way to church here this morning, and uh, the road was closed. It was a blockage, and it just had a sign, and you couldn't go forward. So all of a sudden, we're like, oh, no, we're going to be late. So we plug it into the GPS. We get in the car, you know, we turn around, and I'm like, well, we got to go all the way back up through Newtown across you know, 84, and get down to church. It's probably the fastest way. And, and so we, Barb said, well, let's plug it in the GPS. So we plug in the GPS, and it tells us to go a different way, right? Counterintuitive to what we think. Both of us are like, this is leading us right back to the roadblock, right? We're following the GPS, and it's all through these back roads, but intuitively we're like, we're not going the right way. And all of a sudden we pop out onto Route 7. And I thought, you know, you have to trust the GPS. That's a great invention, isn't it, the GPS thing? But you got to trust it, right? So here's God. He uh, gives a visible presence of himself in a pillar. And uh, the pillar is there, and sometimes it's called a cloud. The pillar turns into a cloud. And uh, sometimes it's called the angel of God. And, um, you know, there's this guidance system, and it's God himself and his own presence, kind of like, you know, the Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, Chapter 13 in Exodus, verses uh, 17 and 18, when Pharaoh let the people go, listen to this, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. So God's specifically leading them a certain way. God's doing this. And you know which way he's leading them, right? Right up against the Red Sea, right? And uh, so it says here, lest the people change their minds, God said, when they see war and return to Egypt. 
Uh, these people are going to go to the Philistines. The Philistines are going to fight against them. They're going to chicken out, and they're going to run right back and go back to Egypt. So God says, I'm not letting, I'm, I'm, I'm blocking that off. I'm not going to let them do that. And uh, verse 18, God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Wow, so the Red Sea was God's idea. It wasn't just an accident that happened because we were like wandering around. No, God, with this physical manifestation, this pillar, uh, or cloud, or angel, whatever you want to say, and uh, he was doing it intentionally. And if you go, uh, if you have your Bibles, in Exodus chapter 23, uh, it's kind of interesting, verse 20 and 21, it says here, Behold, I send an angel before you, talking about the pillar, uh, to guard you on your way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression. And listen to this. For my name, God says, is in him. For my name is in him. So many people think that uh, the pillar was uh, and the voice was a, a pre-incarnate uh, visitation by Jesus who was actually leading the people through the wilderness. And uh, if you know about the rock, you know, uh, remember Moses is told to uh, smite the rock the first time. People are thirsty and it's like, hit the rock, you know. So Moses gives it a whack, it splits open, rivers of water come out of this rock. The second time God says, now we're going to go to another rock and I want you to speak to the rock. Well, Moses has had it with all the people crabbing on it. So he whacks the rock again and God says, You're not going into the promised land for that. Because why? The New Testament tells us the rock that followed them through the wilderness was Jesus. And the first time he was to be smitten, but from then on he was to be talked to. He was to be prayed at, right? That's, that's, and, and Moses didn't pay attention. That was an illustration that God wanted to have and Moses blew it. And so God, after all the things that Moses does, God's like, you're not going into the promised land. Sorry, pal. And uh, so anyway, this pre-incarnate maybe manifestation of Jesus Christ who was before all things. And just imagine the awe of the people as they watch at night as this pillar turns into fire and leads them through the desert. And in the daytime becomes a cloud which shades two million people so that they don't get, um, you know, sunburned and uh, eaten up by the sun, and so forth. Just imagine the awe of the people as the Lord is actually leading them and protecting them, the very presence of God. Um, And I think this is important to recognize that um, God doesn't just save the people from the Egyptians and save them from slavery and say, okay, I did the hard work, now you're on your own. Sometimes people think that Christianity is... Well, I just have to be saved. And now that I'm saved, I'm there and I've arrived. Well, in one sense, that's true. But in another sense, you're just taking the first step. Because God is going to now get involved in your life and lead you and disciple us to become like his son, Jesus. And there's this long process that lasts our whole lives of God, you know, transforming us, leading us, going with us. I think of this pillar and cloud and uh, voice kind of like the Holy Spirit that God has put in us when we become Christians to lead us and to help us make better decisions and to help us, you know, make choices that enable us to become more and more like Christ and to fulfill the purpose for which God has us here at this point in time, uh, that we might be a part of uh, building his kingdom and so on. But, of course, uh, you know, watch what happens here in Exodus. 
in Exodus chapter 14, and, uh, you know, 3 and 4, here's what Pharaoh starts to think. You know, all the people have left now, you know, and verse 3 of 14 says, uh, for Pharaoh's going to say of the people of Israel, and God's putting this in Pharaoh's mind, Pharaoh's going to say, that's how God knows what he's going to say, about the people of Israel, hey, they're just wandering around in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, and they did so. So here's God again, you know, uh, he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Remember we said there's 10 places where the Bible says God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and there's 10 places where it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And there's this synergy that's going between God and us all the time. Um, And it it makes a difference whether we submit to him or not. And so God tells them specifically, um, verse 5 of chapter 14, when the king of Egypt uh, was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants changed. He changed his mind. If you're the king, I guess you can do that. And they said, What is this that we have done? We have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and he took his army with him, you know, 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt and all the soldiers he could get together and so forth. And the Egyptians went to pursue the Israelites to get them back. And uh, you can just imagine, you know, what that would be like. So in verses 10 and 11, when Pharaoh drew near, imagine all these people now, they're you know, up against the Red Sea, and uh, they look, and here comes Pharaoh with all of his army, you know, and they're riding through the sand, dust is flying, and they look back. When Pharaoh uh, drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. Let's talk about fear today. Fear, how do we go from fear to faith? How do we make that transition? Now, we all have feelings of fear, right, from time to time, feelings of uh, fear. And so these people, they're like, wow, we got, you know, the Red Sea in front of us, and we've got the world, at that time, the world's most powerful military behind us, and they're coming to kill us. They're not coming to, uh, you know, get their sheep back. They're coming to get rid of us. And... um, there's other places that talk about that in the scriptures. So when Pharaoh drew near, the people lifted up their eyes. They just lifted up their eyes. I mean, they didn't even have social media. I bet the news spread through that two million people like wildfire, right? No cell phones, no social media, but they just looked, and all of a sudden they realized what was going on. The Egyptians were coming after them, and they feared greatly, great fear. And the people of Israel cried out to God. They prayed. Right? Sometimes, if you ask the question, you know, why does God allow such fear into our lives? Sometimes it takes that kind of fear to get us to realize how dependent we are on our God. We have not because we ask not. And uh, sometimes fear moves us to change our habits with God, and God draws us to Himself uh, through that. However, they didn't stop with prayer. Okay, uh, next verse, verse 11, they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die out here in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out to Egypt? So they start, you know, hammering uh, Moses. And in verse 12, uh, this is a I told you so kind of verse, right? Uh, 
is not this what we said to you when we were back in Egypt? Just leave us alone so that we can serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians, you know, than to die out here in the wilderness. Would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians, stay in slavery, uh, than it is for us to die out here in the wilderness. So uh, they begin to pick on Moses, right? They start to uh, challenge him. And uh, everybody, uh, again, experiences fear in some situation. But I want to say this morning that every time fear comes your way, you have a choice. You have a choice. You can say no to fear and yes to faith. You can say no to more fear and yes to more faith. You always have a choice. I have a book in my library. It's called Fear is Never Your Friend. Fear is Never Your Friend. And um, uh, every time the feeling of fear shows up, we have a choice. We can give in to fear and let it control our responses, or we can say no to fear and instead grow our faith. I have to make a choice. I don't believe you can experience fear and faith at the same time. You can't experience fear and faith at the same time. And we have the power by God's spirit living within us to make the choice as to whether or not we're going to say no to fear or we're going to give in. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear. So when we have fear, it's not coming from God. All of a sudden we have to think, now, you know, I don't want to pick on these Israelites too bad. I mean, they're the worst the world's most powerful army on their tail, and they got the ocean in front of them. I mean, I think I might be a little afraid myself, you know? Uh, and God specifically led his people to that place where there was no escape. There was no going back to Egypt. It was all designed by God so that he could show off his power, right? Uh, sometimes I think um, Psalm 139, you, you're familiar with this psalm, I'm sure, But uh, in the fifth verse, uh, the 139th Psalm, uh, the psalmist says this. He says, um, you hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I can't attain it. I'm sure that you've felt from time to time hemmed in by God. You're between the Red Sea and the army that's coming after you to wipe you out. And you're in those spots where you say, I I don't know what I'm going to do. This looks like it's the end for me and so forth, right? I'm hemmed in before and behind and God's got me in this vice and the only place I can turn is to him. And it's by his design. It's by his sovereign uh, will that uh, he enables us then uh, to grow in our dependence upon him. And so the Lord, through his mouthpiece Moses, back here in Exodus uh, 14, here's what Moses says uh, to the people. Fear not. Even though they're picking on Moses, right? Oh, Moses, isn't there enough graves in Egypt for us to die back there? You know, and they start picking on Moses. We told you so, and they're picking on Moses. Moses recognizes it's their fear that's really speaking, right? And so he says, fear not. The single most common command in the Bible. Somebody said there's 366 fear nots in the Bible. One for every day of the year plus leap year. I don't know if it's true. I've never counted, but uh, I've read that. And so look what Moses is like. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, right? 
You just saw the salvation of the Lord after 430 years being slaves. He's pretty capable, right? Now, stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today shall never be seen again. And the Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be quiet. Stop grumbling. Stop complaining. Stop whining. All you have to do is be silent and watch what the Lord is going to do. And I think, wow, you know, that's a lesson that we all need, right? God is at work glorifying himself. Uh, What is the chief end of man anyway? You people who grew up on the catechism know, right? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, right? Right? (laughs) Okay. The chief end of man, the chief end of your life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But if I'm one of these Israelites, I'm like, well, you know, that catechism hasn't been written yet. And, uh, you know, I'm in an impossible situation. I got the ocean in front of me. I got the army behind me. And um, you know what? Uh, All the people are in a panic here. And uh, all of a sudden, just think of this crowd. Two million people go from this tremendous optimism as they're marching out of Egypt. And, you know, they're just as happy as can be. Finally, 430 years of slavery. I'm free from sin. I'm free from the slavery to sin. I'm free. I've got this uh, eternal life that God has promised me that's in my future. And, man, I'm heading out, and I'm so pumped and excited. And then I'm all the way down to being, allowing fear to, to make me, totally the opposite of optimistic and I'm pessimistic and uh, I'm on my way down you know and uh, I'm I'm giving in to feelings of despair as fear starts to settle in and I want to say you know these people just witnessed God with these 10 times over Uh, it was a beat down and you know what all the women got all the jewelry from these Egyptians. Do you remember that? They got all the gold and all the jewelry. They got all this new stuff from uh, the Egyptians before they leave and so forth. And uh, I'm thinking, why aren't they happy? You know, why don't they trust God? Why don't they trust their GPS, the pillar that's leading them and so forth? They got evidence that God is right with them. You know, what about faith? Why don't you choose to say no to your fear and embrace faith? There's a passage in... uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that perhaps you're familiar with. Uh, I go back here often when I feel afraid. Uh, And God says this, No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You ever go back there and just think, you know what, this is more than I can handle, and you go back to this verse, and God says, no, I promise, I won't give you more than you can handle. And by the way, I'm a way maker. I will make a way for you to get through this disaster that you're living in. You know, it's fun to sing about God being a way maker, but it's a tough thing to live and believe that when you're up against the Red Sea, God is going to make a way. That's kind of hard to believe, right, Uh, when you're in the middle of all of that. So um, fear makes the people turn on Moses. Everything's coming unglued. I don't think it occurred to people that uh, perhaps there is something better than being slaves 
in Egypt and dying. Psalm 63, 3 says this, your steadfast love, O God, is better than life itself. Now, I like life. I think life is great, right? But it only lasts 100 years or so. And we've been made in God's image. We're going to last forever. And what the psalmist is saying is life is great, but there is something better than life that we can grab a hold of, and it's the love of God, the steadfast love of God, the unchanging love of God is better than anything else you can find in life. And I think, wow, that is really a great word, isn't it? There is something better than life. And so here's all these people up against the sea, you know, and they think their life is going to be over, and they're like, let's go back to Egypt, let's go back to slavery, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, let's start picking on Moses, you know. And, and so what's Moses' reaction? Moses realizes it's the fear talking. You know, fear not, stand firm. Abraham Lincoln, uh, maybe you remember this quote. Uh, one time Abraham Lincoln said, be sure you put your feet in the right place and then stand firm. And that's what Moses is telling these people, stand firm. Make sure you put your feet in the right place. Make sure you put your faith in the right God. Make sure you put your trust you know, in the right GPS who's going to lead you through life all the way into heaven, you know, and then stand firm. Make sure you know what you believe and then stand firm. This salvation is of God. That 14th verse, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. You have only to stop crabbing and grumbling and so forth. And, um, and God will do it for you. The road from less fear to more faith is paved with next steps. Next steps. What is the next step God has for me in any area of my life? What is the next step? Uh, You might remember, well, I was going to go to the New Testament. I'll skip that. But you remember when Jesus uh, had given the Sermon on the Mount and him and his disciples got in the boat and Jesus was wiped out and so he was asleep in the boat and a big storm comes up, right? And uh, the disciples are freaking out. They're totally, it says they're full of fear and Jesus gives them a nickname, all the disciples. You know what he calls them? He calls them little faith. Oh, you of little faith. All you, you know, 12 guys, little faith. Um, and, and Jesus calms the sea. Well, here at the Red Sea, Jesus, uh, God creates the storm, right? He brings on the storm, blows the waters back. The people go through on dry land. And uh, we can read all of this uh, in Exodus. And uh, just, you know, uh, let me just read a couple of verses here in uh, chapter 14. And uh, well, let me start in verse like 21. Uh, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground and the waters uh, being a wall to them on their right, a wall on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, chariots, his horsemen, they all went in chasing the Egyptians. Verse 26, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea again, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course. Uh, When the morning appeared, And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned, covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the host of Pharaoh uh, that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. The power of God, right? I'll deliver you. 
the power of God to effect uh, uh, salvation for these people. And then, of course, you know, the people like break out in worship. It's just the coolest of chapter 15. Uh, Moses and the people sing this song to the Lord. I think uh, it's called Moses' Hymn. Uh, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. And this is like us on Easter Sunday. He has triumphed glorious. You know, uh, uh, the horse and the rider has been thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. Uh, he has become my salvation. The first line of that, I will sing to the Lord, actually can be translated, I must sing to the Lord because of what he's just done. And we have this joy and, you know, it's deep inside of the people and so forth. And so Moses has this song and, um, you know, it goes right to the top of the charts, this song, because at the end, uh, it says in verse 20, then Miriam, Moses' sister, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing and Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider he has thrown into the sea and all the people you can imagine this spontaneous worship of our great God because of his power to effect salvation and not just that but then lead us to the promised land, lead us to that eternal life in a place called heaven. Uh, which he is affecting. Well, our time is gone, um, and next week we'll kind of pick it up here. But I would encourage you this morning, you know, uh, just if you think about part of our journey as becoming disciples as moving from less fear in our life and more faith, what would be your next step? What would be the next step if you were to say, I want to live with a little bit less fear and a little bit more faith? What would be a next step that I could take to affect that? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're, we're so thankful that you recorded this uh, story for us uh, out of history so many years ago uh, about your faithfulness and uh, it's just a demonstration of your power and that's why you did it. You wanted people to understand who you are and what you're like and uh, how powerful you are. And so I pray that we too might have a sense of who's in the boat with us like the disciples Man, God was in their boat, and they were afraid. They were scared, and uh, Jesus calls them little faith. May we not be people of little faith. May we have great faith. May we think about the future the way you think about it, and may we see the path that you have laid out for us as a journey, Father, that uh, is by your design, not just willy-nilly, accidental, uh, but that we're part of something bigger than just our everyday circumstances. And we thank you that we can trust you In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.